Hello and welcome everyone to part five of the Anderson Countdown. I'm one of your hosts, Scott Shelton, and this week, definitely only a week after recording last week's episode, we're discussing Wes Anderson's fifth outing, the comedy drama, The Darjeeling Limited. Before we get to that, however, with me as always, I have my Countdown co-hosts, Scott Harvey and Jay Habib. Scott, you first. How are things going? Are you enjoying our weekly cadence of recording? Yeah, it's it's been great. You know, it's awesome to set a schedule and actually stick to it for once. You know, I think with these countdown yeah. series, sometimes, you know, we just kind of do an episode when we feel like it. And uh, but, you know, Wes Anderson, he really he also really stuck to schedule. And, and with did. Asteroid City yeah. coming out in, you know, late 2022, we got to keep up at a solid clip here so we can make sure and be ready for that to come out. But um, yeah, so uh, happy to be here. Happy to see you all. Again, for our, our weekly chat. Yeah, absolutely. Jay, your turn. How are you doing today? I'm good. I feel like my whole opening shtick uh, has been hijacked since oh. Scott <laughs> Scott Harvey went Beat first. Punch. That is okay. Um, some some of our more what like high intensity listeners will realize from last week's episode that we're probably full of crap. But I'm good overall. No, we'll de- we'll definitely I'm not, remember I'm not the four Wes Anderson details. movies we've already watched, and it'll be they're all very fresh in our mind. I think it's yes. fair to say. Totally. Um, there was the no, first one, and then the one after that, and then the yeah, third. yeah. I th- there was there was Bottle Rocket, and then there was um at a Fight Club or something like that, or and then yeah. like the game or Goldfinger. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so we're on a roll here. Uh, for I guess just to just to show the cards. We had started recording the Anderson Countdown sometime mid 2022. I think, early. I, I think that's right. Early. Okay. Jay is saying early. I'm, I'm going back into the podcast, the annals of history. Yes. March 20th, 2022, mm-hmm. we recorded Bottle Rocket. It is checks a watch March 9th, 2023. And we're now recording uh, the Dark Dealing Limited. So it has been literally 10 months i think since our last recording yes may 19th was our last recording um so really wonderful to be with you all again today to uh talk about a wes anderson film frankly um i remember very little about what's happened before in this kind of had to remind myself what happened in some of the other movies um but we are here today and all jokes about our recording timetable aside we should be ready to get down to business with the discussion of the 2007 film the darjeeling limited Directed, of course, by Wes Anderson and co-written with Roman Coppola, son of the esteemed Francis Ford Coppola, as well as actor, writer, and previous Anderson collaborator Jason Schwartzman. The Darjeeling Limited stars Schwartzman, Adrian Brody, and Owen Wilson as three estranged brothers, Jack, Peter, and Francis, who agree to meet in India a year after their father's funeral for a spiritual journey aboard a luxury train named, you guessed it, the Darjeeling Limited. Francis, played by Wilson, is the eldest and wants the three of them to reconcile after he recently survived a near-fatal motorcycle accident, leaving his face and head covered in bandages. He has an ulterior motive, however, as he searches for the brother's mother, Patricia, whom the brothers have not seen in many years since she disappeared into the Indian wilderness to become a nun in a convent, and who did not attend the three brothers' father's funeral. As the brothers make their journey across India, they have arguments to settle, items of inheritance to debate, and further grieving for their father to do. And with that, Jay, let's go to you first as usual. What did you make of this particular film from Wes? Did you find its sibling journey to be effective and moving? Or did the combination of humor and sorrow not create the right brew for your taste? I'd say somewhere in the middle. Um, It it didn't take long for me to get back into the swing of watching a Wes movie in that we open with Bill Murray and Owen Wilson and, you know, there's the campy music and the uh, matching, you know, fancy luggage, like just, you know, and then we have a character who's uh, in love with a, you know, person of color service staff at the main establishment featured in the movie. So like a lot of, lot of uh, similar, you know, motifs, but overall, like, you know, I, I, it felt very much like his style. I think it was like good. I think it definitely that third act, um, is where it, it sold me. It felt like a little bit slow to me before and kind of just like, you know, this is a little bit forced. Isn't the quite, quite the right word. I mean, you know, clearly what's happening in the plot, I think it's supposed to feel a little bit forced, but 
Does that itself feel a little bit forced to me? I don't even know if I'm making sense now, but I mean, Francis is forcing things to happen in, in the plot. I think the whole, his whole shtick is that he's forcing the brothers to get together. He's forcing the brothers to do certain things. It is sort of the, almost the narrative drive of, of parts of the film. Sure. And, you know, to, to some extent, I don't know. It, it, it didn't work for me that well in the beginning, but by the end, I think it did. Um, I, I overall had like a pretty good time. Um, I, I was trying to compare this, you know, again, going back like way back to some of the other West movies I've seen. And I think it's probably somewhere in the middle. Um, not to like give too much away from the end, but overall, not a bad time. Scott, this thing clocks in without the credits under under 90 minutes, which is I feel, I feel like is a real recipe for success for you. Jay did describe it as a little slow, even with the short runtime at the beginning. Would you agree with that? And what else did you think of the film? Yeah, I, uh, I've said before that you have to try really hard to make me mad about a movie that's under 90 minutes. This movie didn't make me mad. I, I quite enjoyed it. Um, I At the start of this series, you know, there were two movies that I had not seen. One was Bottle Rocket, which obviously was the first movie we talked about. And this is the other one. So um, this is my first time watch for this movie. And, you know, it is often referred to as minor Wes Anderson. Um, I don't know that people necessarily think it's bad, but um, you'd be hard pressed it's to mid. find. I think people say people you'd say be hard pr- pressed to find people out there who have watched a lot of Wes Anderson movies and who would say, "Oh, this one is my favorite." Right? Uh, it it doesn't really rate in the top tier for most people, and I do understand why after watching it. I mean, it, it probably doesn't rate in the top tier for me, um, but uh, also it you know it's it is more low key, I would say, than. Um, you know, most of the films we've watched, certainly most of the, the films that we've watched since Bottle Rocket, um, you know, I, th- I think Bottle Rocket could probably be described that way, too. But, um, you know, I, I could definitely see how it is. You know, it, it would be interpreted as slow. Um, I mean, I, I think it is, you know, it, it, it's not as frantic, I guess, as some of um, Wes Anderson's other movies. You know, this, the screwball comedy is not quite there. Um, you don't have necessarily, I mean, it's still very stylish, but you don't necessarily have the, um, you know, kind of, again, frenetic editing and, and things like that, like you're used to seeing with, with Anderson, yeah. certainly at this point in his career, at least. Um, it's like a different kind of chaos, like the chaos is still there, but it's, mm-hmm. it's like a different, it's a different, yeah, different kind of chaos almost. But I definitely think there's a lot of positive qualities about it. I think the three lead performances are all really good. Um, I also think I like the India setting. Um, I think it's it's something different. It, um, you know, I, I think he uses it pretty well and um, uses it to explore. Like you know, again, you you mentioned they're on kind of this journey of of grieving. Um, and in some ways they're trying to like appropriate the Indian culture, right. To help them in their, uh, you know, journey to try and make sense of their father's death and everything that comes with that. Um, but they have to obviously realize over the course of the movie and, and eventually do realize with this like actual sort of traumatic experience that they encounter um, while they're there that, um, you know, there's, there's a more, uh, that that everyone across cultures, everyone is sort of experiencing their own sort of grief. So um, I thought that was an interesting idea for him to explore. Um, obviously, we haven't seen a movie yet um, that is set, I guess, in, in a foreign country like this. I'm trying to think. I mean, no, I, I don't think we have. But um, but yeah, it, it, I enjoyed the, that element of it. Um, there are definitely certain parts of the life aquatic that are not set. In yeah, America, but I, I was trying to think like, yeah, yeah but. Anyway, th- this is this is the one you'd probably say comprehensively, but um, yeah, and I, I think as Jay Jay pointed out, um, I think the third act, kind of like the Life Aquatic, I think it kind of sneaks up on you how you know emotionally affecting it, it actually is. Um, you know, I've commented on this in the past, but um, movies about brothers always kind of hit hit home for me. I'm very close with my brother, so I definitely relate to, um, you know, those brotherly relationships on on film. And even though I don't think uh, our relationship or anything is anything necessarily like that of the brothers in this film. Um, you don't hand Rob you know, an itinerary when you when you start a visit with him or anything like that? I, I don't. You know, we were in Asheville together on Monday, at least, and I, I did not really, uh, I did not do that. I did not meticulously schedule out um, our day but anyway um 
you know, I, I, by the end of the, the movie, they have come back together and like, you know, have sort of rediscovered their brotherly bond. And so I, I did, you know, connect with that, certainly. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I, I understand, why, again, why it's described as minor Wes Anderson. But I think minor Wes Anderson is still a really good movie, like uh, by by most standards. So it may not end up rating highly on my ultimate rankings when we do this. But, um, you know, I think from doing this series, um, you know, I, I've really grown in my estimation for some of the films that we've talked about already. And I know what is to come. And most of my favorite films of his are still to come. So I have a feeling by the end, I'm probably going to be saying, hey, he didn't he doesn't really have any bad movies. So, um, yeah, I, I certainly wouldn't classify this as as bad and not even close. Yeah, I I saw so watch this for the first time a few days ago at this point and was a little surprised, I think, by the sort of the, the pacing of the film. I do agree with Jay that it feels a little bit slow in the, in the first part. Actually, maybe even more so in, in the middle, because I actually found the, the beginning scenes, especially the opening scene is one that I, I enjoyed, like watching Adrian Brody sort of just flee towards this train and jump on. Um, and, you know, for reasons that we can go into maybe at the end of our discussion, why looking back, I find that scene pretty satisfying is I thought it was a really good start to the film. And I think I was very engaged early on following <clears throat> trying to really piece together what exactly is the state of these brothers relationships. I think the first like 15 minutes of the movie does a really good job showing you the how they are estranged. You know, does you know, obviously you don't have the full context for everything yet that gets drip fed out a little bit more slowly over the course of, of the runtime. But I think it does a good job early on, but then, yeah, it, it does feel like it slows down a little bit in the middle, um, kind of like maybe the middle half hour, middle 45 minutes. And, you know, when they're stopping at the different temples and they're doing all these different things, basically before they get kicked off of the train and maybe shortly after, I just found that the, the film, it didn't quite keep hold my attention the same way. Maybe they, they captured it in the first 15 but it, yeah, and it recovers at the end. It sort of changes gears. Short of calling anything a plot twist, there's obviously like a, a narrative structure that is sort of exploited in the second half of the film that wasn't necessarily expecting to happen. And then the sort of the catharsis, I think maybe if that is the right word for it at the end, uh, sort of the reconciliation that happens and coming together, I thought was effective. Yeah. So overall, I, I also liked the movie. Um, I, yeah, I think middle, I think, Jay, you described it sort of like in the middle of the pack for you so far. I think that's like probably about right. Um, but like Scott, like the Wes Anderson movies that I am the biggest fan of that I've seen already are the ones still to come. So I wonder how this will shake out at the end of the day in the in the grand scheme of the lists when all is said and done. But it is really cool, I think, to see sort of how his filmmaking develops. I think Scott was referencing this is the first time where you see a character in a foreign country um, you know, depending on how you count Life Aquatic, I think the important thing there, to, and that's maybe what the point Scott's getting to, is that it's the, I think it's the first time you see Wes sort of immerse his characters in another culture. And I think that becomes a, that becomes a bigger and bigger part of, of his movies. You know, some people might say that there's some sort of cultural appropriation element to it, but I sort of fall in the same camp as Scott, I think, where saying, like, the characters may be trying to appropriate the culture, but I don't think the movie is appropriating the culture. Um at least not in this case. Um, yeah, maybe I think that's a conversation we might come back to several times over over the rest of our time together. But I, I do think that what Wes is showing you is intentional and what these brothers are doing is intentional. And I think it almost sort of plays that back in their face at times um, as something that isn't is not good and, and isn't working for them. But maybe that's a point of conversation we can get into a little bit more later on, because overall, yeah, I enjoyed the film. I was looking at some reviews afterwards and I'm like, it's a little bit of a mixed bag, but overall it's not a bad way to spend 90 minutes. Is what I'd say. I think because, you know, it's Wes Anderson, we have certain expectations. Maybe it rates out a little lower because it doesn't, sure. you know, it, it doesn't necessarily match what you're expecting. It is much more low key. Like we're saying. Um, and, yeah, I think that's so, just because I was, I was bored for like almost half of the movie. I think yeah. the problem or like a third or a half of the movie. And I, I think that's like ultimately what weighs it down a little bit. Yeah. I don't think that's an, an unfair uh, assessment either. Yeah. 
Should have just had more sex with the with the train conductor. That obviously would have spiced things up dramatically. Um, well, anyway, jokes aside. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, he did once. I mean, he did try again, I guess. But uh, yeah. she was busy, or I don't know what she was doing. Not sure. The bell was ringing. Yeah, the the, the conductor the conductor guy was coming. Is wasn't that That's, what the yeah. issue was? Well, yeah, she, he was like ringing the bell for her to like come mm-hmm. do something or something. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Um, I'm sure this is going to be actually a majority of our conversation. But before we get to that, I think we should talk about the brothers' relationship and the brothers themselves. We've highlighted, or I, I mentioned Francis already. He's come up, and that is Owen Wilson's character. He's sort of like. I interpret him as the eldest. I don't know if he actually is, but I interpret him as the, as the eldest brother. Uh, I don't know if they actually say that or not, but he's the one who has the assistant who's planning everything that they're doing and has really been the sort of catalyzing factor in, in getting them back together after being estranged for, I think we later learn of it. It's about a year since they probably last had seen each other. And he's getting together his two brothers, Jar Peter, played by Adrian Brody, and Jack, played by Jason Schwartzman. Jay, let's go back to you now and just talk, like, what did you thought of these brothers? I mentioned sort of that first 15 minutes when you're getting to know them a little bit better was, I thought was effective. Did you feel like the the film did a good job kind of, A, getting letting you know who these brothers were and, and B, sort of unveiling, like, the relationships that they had coming into the film? Overall, I think so. I think, like... Scott, you mentioned earlier, like all three performances were pretty good. And then in terms of just like how they interacted with each other, you know, I, some of the, I don't want to use the word gags, um, but I can't think of the better word, but just some of the little like playful bits. Yeah, sure. Comedic bits. Comedic bits. That's the word. Those are the words I'm looking for, Um, you know, involving their relationship, like, you know, spilling a secret and being like, don't tell him I told you. And, you know, that happens a couple of times. And uh, you mentioned, you know, Owen Wilson, again, like acting like the oldest. I think I think he even has a line that's like, you know, didn't I raise you or didn't I basically raise you? And again, I, I don't know if I read that as like you were the oldest and you were saying this or if you're saying this as like I wasn't even the oldest, but I still like it. I'm not sure it was clear. Um, I think the only rela- the only age we know is that we I think we know Jack is the youngest. I think that's the only one we know for sure. Sure. Um, but I thought the, good movie, the movie did a good job just like rolling that out you know, piece by piece. And then I think like escalating, not like the conflict per se, but just dynamic between them. You know, we get to like pepper spray fights in the hallway and, uh, you know, deeper conversations about one brother's son. And it's like, I, I think once we started getting into some more of that dynamic, like it, it was working. Like, you know, you talk about the middle, maybe being a little bit boring for you. I think the parts where they are trying to like culturally immerse, yeah, it didn't work as well. But, you know, when they're like arguing about the belt uh, as like an inheritance item. uh, And again, just like little, little playful bits like this uh, to me, like are fun. Again, having a a brother of my own, even though he's much younger, again, you just see kind of that dynamic come through. Did you practically raise him? Oh, oh God, no. (laughs) Scott, what did you think? Yeah, no, uh, it, it's definitely probably the strongest part of the movie, the relationship between all of them. You know, of course, it's, it is it is kind of a cliche to say, but like they are all in, you know, they've all come to India under the guise of, um, you know, like repairing their relationship or whatever, but they're all running from something too, it seems like. You know, you have Jason Schwartzman's character has just got out of his relationship, got, gotten out of a relationship you have Adrian Brody, his character, his you know wife is pregnant, is about to give birth, in fact. And then um, Owen Wilson's character has just had this incident that we learn more about later, but um, where um, you know he was badly injured, um, and obviously what we eventually learn is that it was self-inflicted. But um, but yeah, so they're all you know that's sort of the setup for the whole thing and. Uh, maybe that's a little bit contrived, but you know, I I don't feel like the movie overdoes it. Like I don't think it, you know, we know we kind of understand that they're probably going to come back together over the course of the movie, but I don't think it does it in a, you know, hand wavy or over sentimentalized way. Um, it's it's like the little gestures and things that really stuck out to me. Like you know, you're mentioning the belt and everything, and obviously that's like a you know, uh, argument point over the course of the movie because uh, Owen Wilson's like, oh, you know, well, we inherited that together and it's $6,000 and all this stuff. Um, but then eventually he ends up giving it to um, Adrian Brody. Peter. Um, 
Yeah. Is it is it like right after he's found out that he's had the child? Isn't that when it is? Or well, he gives it to him and then he takes it back and then gives it to him. Again. Well, yeah, but I mean, like, he gives it to him and says, "And now you know you've inherited yeah. he it." Can, he can inherit it. I think the yeah. kid can inherit. The kid can inherit it. Yeah. Oh. Right. Right. Um, so I mean, that's just that's a nice moment. It you know it, it gets gets you know the point across that things have changed, but it's not doing it in a you know overly forced or um you know overly intentional way despite the, the way that it's set up and um you know even when um when owen wilson another moment i like is when owen wilson like takes off his bandages in the bathroom at the airport and is like guess i still have some more healing to do right like there's a lot packed in that line there um you know obviously it means physical healing but it doesn't just mean that um so yeah and that's that a lot of that is the strength of the writing but i think all the performances are pretty subtle as well um you know wes anderson he uses the same performers um you know we've seen schwartzman and owen wilson before of course at this point this is the first time we'll see adrian brody but he will be showing up some more actually i was struck by how different uh, adrian brody's performance is here from the ones that we will see because he's a lot more um comic and um over the top and you know like the grand budapest hotel and the french dispatch um so i i like seeing that other side of him. i mean he's he's a wonderful actor i think so um he can do a lot of things and it, it was nice to see this different side of him with with west behind the lens but yeah i just think the relationship all really works like all the personalities are well defined again the performances are subtle i like jason schwartzman as being the guy who is like I just don't want to deal with any of this. I don't want to talk about any of this. Like, I'm just going to go, you know, try to walk away and talk to the, you know, woman on the train, whatever he can do to like escape the more difficult, complicated conversations that like, you know, his brothers are having. And yeah, like we've said, Owen Wilson being the more controlling one. Um, but also that being perhaps um, at, at a, contrast from the fact that he doesn't have a lot of control over his own life possibly um but yeah uh, i think it all all really works yeah i think one of the fun things about jack which is jason schwartzman's character that what that hasn't been mentioned yet is that he has this recurring thing that he's he's writing these short stories that are yeah. you know, all the characters are fictional but mm. like are, are just so clearly <laughs> the brothers or you know, someone else and his, his ex-girlfriend or whatever. He's like randomly played by Natalie Portman at the end of the movie. It was so weird. So um, interestingly enough, there's a, a short film that Wes Anderson released after this called Hotel Chevalier. I've not seen it, but it is about 13 minutes long, I think. And it is Natalie Portman. It's like, it's supposed to be a prequel to this movie, but it's Natalie Portman's character and, and Jason Schwartzman. Like it's about, you know, them having some sort of, you know, their really it's it's you know a, a snippet from their relationship i had to look all of this up once i saw natalie portman on the yeah. train i'm like wait why is she in this movie but you would so random you know you wouldn't put it past wes anderson like if anyone was going to do it just to put somebody like incredibly famous in there for five seconds not give them anything to do except just have them bill murray is the same like, way yeah yeah although i mean there are theories out there i believe that bill murray is actually their dad and so that's what we see at the, the beginning of the movie is yeah okay that's a i'll have to i'll have to go on reddit for that one later yeah. um <laughs> not, fo not following that one but i'll, I'll look into it <laughs> i'll follow up on i I, th I think the idea was that he is um you know he's chasing down the train they're all on the train and because it's like a it's a metaphor for them like having to sort of leave their father behind along this journey um mm -hmm. So well, he's credited as the businessman, so it could be. Yeah. Who knows? Their father was uh, a businessman. Well, doesn't he I show know, up? At, doesn't he show up at the end on the train anyway? He's on the he's on oh, in like the, the mon and the montage at the end of the at the end, yeah. But like that's when Natalie Portman's character shows up, <laughs> right? Yeah. I yeah, who knows? Maybe it is hard to say. Um, yeah, I I really dug all these performances. I think I probably liked Adrian Brody's the best. I think one of the, one of those maybe this is the journey of all people who who watch Adrian Brody films. But the more I see Adrian Brody, the more I'm like, hmm, this guy's pretty good. He's pretty good. Um, feel that way about his his limited appearances on Succession. Feel that way about his appearances in Wes Anderson movies. And you know, maybe someday I'm just gonna have to go watch. Uh, is it the 
What which one is it? Which one of the one is Academy Award with the artist? Is that is that what he No, not, not the, the artist. artist. Different film, very different film. Um, that's a funny. That's a funny mix-up, actually. Um, you know, I think for a long time I thought that he won the Academy Award for the twenty twelve, like was it twenty twelve or whatever, the artist or whatever. And um, I that was, was like, Jean Dujardin. I know. Yeah, and I just thought that he was in that film, and I was very confused why he wasn't younger because everyone talks about how he was so young when he won his Academy Award, and and I was like, well, this is he only won like a decade ago. How is he this old? Um, <laughs> but anyway, that's a side note that literally no one cares about. We can move on from Scott. I'm so, sorry you didn't mention Poker Face as one of his appearances. That's true. I should have. Yeah, I that's have true, seen the first yeah. episode of the Poker Face, which he which he is featured very prominently in. Um, a great performance from him in that. I think a classic Adrian Brody performance in that. Classic like smarmy kind of kind of guy who uh, is probably in a little too deep. But that said, maybe we could have a poker face chat. You know, this is the benefits of waiting a year to have done this podcast because we couldn't have had this poker face conversation if we'd done this ten months ago. So you're welcome for all of that. Um, anyway, I did. I really dug all three of their performances. Adrian Brody sort of stood the tallest literally i guess and and figuratively among them and i think a part of it was just there's this um almost to me that like the biggest surprising turn is and i think maybe the one that that had me thinking the most about was just his own sort of wrestling with the fact that he's about to become a father i think that whole like almost den denial of like the experience he's soon to be having was something that i didn't really expect the film I didn't really expect the film to be going in that direction. I think I, I felt it would be, it would stay pretty focused on the familial relationships between the brothers. And then when that element got brought in, it's something that, that is something that I think really did um, have me thinking a little bit more. And I thought it, the reactions of, of the different brothers to sort of learning the fact that his wife was, you know, due in a matter of days or whatever, and hadn't told her that he was going to India. I was just sort of a, well, initially flabbergasted that anyone would do that. And then B, I found that sort of emotional exploration pretty, pretty effective. Um, but yeah, I, I already said it in my overall takeaway that I thought in the introduction to these characters was really brilliant. I thought that was one of the best parts of the film, the way it lays out. And I think I think you get a pretty strong sense of who these individuals are pretty quickly. And I think that is the strength of the writing of the film and and definitely in the performances as these characters sort of play some of their cards quite close to the chest because there's still a lot of things we don't know about the characters after the first 15 minutes, but are also able to let you in on exactly what's going on um, inside these heads and what they're struggling with and things like that. So I really liked that. Moving on, the next thing I did want to talk about was how the plot develops. I've just, maybe this is my own personal bias here is I've sort of skipped over a lot of what I found to be the boring parts of the movie and sort of want to jump to when they actually get kicked off the train and like, okay, enough is enough. Like they brought the snake on board and it's absolutely outrageous that they've done this and it got out or whatever. And so they end up getting kicked off the train. And obviously this is causing even more and more frustration and conflict between the brothers. And it really is instigated by this whole notion that Francis is this hyper controlling brother who is really trying to force them into reconciling, force them into they don't know it yet, but force them into into seeing their mother for the first time. Um, and I think things just come to a head. And this is sort of the it, it seems like one of the turning points of the film. Scott, we'll, we'll go to you first this time. What did you think of, of sort of the almost the what I would think of as almost like a plot inflection point in the film where they get booted off the train and they sort of have to make their own way from there? Yeah, I mean, I think what eventually happens, you know, you're describing the that Francis is sort of controlling and he has this itinerary and they're doing all these sort of rituals and spiritual things yeah. you know that that's not working uh, it's not organic right yeah exactly it, exactly and, and that's eventually what happens is um you know th these artificial um ways of reconciling with what's going on ha are having no effect but then they have this real incident where these yeah. boys are are drowning in in a you know, stream, river, whatever, and um, mm -hmm. one of them is not able to be saved. Um, and so then, you know, they end up back at the village for where the boys were from. You know, the, the people treat them very kindly um, and take care of them. And then, you know, they, they have the funeral. And 
that is sort you know through through this whole incident is sort of where they start to you know open up and and reconcile they they, they start to achieve the desired objective of this whole journey from francis's perspective through this organic incident as you're as you're saying scott so um you know i think it works i think it makes sense again like um i like the idea that you know they are all because it's a wes anderson movie and so they're all self-obsessed characters or you know in their own way and they're all kind of looking at grief somewhat selfishly but um then they experience this incident where like i said with the boys and they they witness this other the the way that that um you know grief is approached in another cultural and it, culture and it's a more communal experience right we we certainly get that from the funeral and everything and um you know it forces them to you know see the the yeah it holds a mirror up to the way that they've been yeah exactly have been dealing with it and so i i mean i i think it's not always engaging to to our point maybe it's you know this isn't the most entertaining wes anderson movie um it isn't the funniest in my opinion it isn't really that close uh, to being the funniest um but um from a thematic perspective i think it's all pretty cohesive and, and easy to follow yeah jay we'll go to you next i, I guess just my thought on this is that i, I mean obviously the sort of mirror <laughs> being held up to them to see the way that they've been grieving and then see how this you know this this culture that's very different from their own and has different values sort of makes them wonder, oh, maybe I'm grieving the, like maybe the reason I'm not satisfied with this process and the way that we've become estranged is because we're, I'm just, we're just grieving separately from each other. And we need to do this together. This is also kind of, I think what I was referring to where I feel like it, it wasn't, I didn't feel like, like, although the characters might be appropriating culture in the film, I didn't feel like the film was necessarily appropriating culture in the message it was trying to relay. I'd want, I'm curious if you felt that way or if you felt maybe that this sort of se sequence in the film still didn't still rank kind of hollow like you were sort of saying earlier, like some of the earlier scenes did of like worship and stuff like that. Good question. I think it's tough to say personally. I'm I, I mean, for, for context, especially if viewers don't know this, right? Like I am South Asian. I'm not Indian, um, but I am South Asian. So like and I grew up like, you know, in like a very South Asian household, like, you know, fairly familiar with like some like very basic customs or, and like, I don't know, just a little bit more about the Indian subcontinent than your average Joe in the U S and like your average Scott, I think is what you're looking for, but keep, keep going. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah. I mean, for me, like it doesn't, I, I think for the most part, the movie is kind of in on the joke, right. Or not the joke per se, but the trope, right. Like it's in on the fact that like they're trying to do this and it's not working. Um, and when you get to this point of like, they're seeing, you know, people of another culture grieve and it's bringing them to like rethink their own perceptions of grief and like how to grieve. Right. It, it, it doesn't ring as hollow for me. And like, I don't, I, I think it, that is one of those moments where it is kind of in on it. You know, we can have a larger conversation, not focused around this scene on like whether I think it's, you know, in on it as much just like in its like day-to-day -day is not the right word but just like scene over scene where i think you know the way i think it it portrays india the way like a lot of just like western films do for the record i don't i don't know exactly where like a lot of these places are right and like for all i know the set like you know the the, the places that they're traveling to on train like are as like remote uh, and rural as shown in the film but to me like that's the only part where i'm like you know is is this village in like 2007 as rural as you're making it out to be and the answer might be yes which is why i'm also not sitting here being like oh yeah like you know this is a problem but if there was anywhere that you know i was going to sit here and be like are you appropriating or are you misrepresenting like that might be the only one but i also wouldn't really hold it against this film especially one that came out in 2007 because i think that's just how you know, I don't even think it's specific to like the Indian subcontinent. I think when, you know, most films for most of the time have shown like Egypt, right? Like it's always a desert. Um, and for India, like it's always a village uh, until, you know, I, 
unfortunately, like, because I, you know, most of what I watch, not most, but a, a healthy percentage of what I watch is like MCU, right? Like I'm starting to see in some of that stuff. Like when they showed Cairo and Moon Knight, it's actually like a city. And when they showed Karachi in Miss Marvel, it's actually like a city and like bustling and happening. And you're like, okay, yes. Like, you know, just because brown people live there, it's not like, you know, a desert or a village of some sort. That's really the only place where, you know, that kind of comes to mind for me. But again, like not, I'm not thinking too hard about it. Cause again, it was 2007, like, you know, being mindful of the time. And so, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's an, I do think all jokes aside about whether the MCU is the beacon of diversity in, in cinema. I, I think that the, it, it still is a valid point that you're making. I, I don't know if I'm overly curious about it, but it, it does feel like they are trying to set a lot of this film in remote, in remote parts of India, whether that is intentional or whether that is like a stereotype of a film, I think is a reasonable question to ask. Um, obviously they're not, they're not really spending any time in any major, I think they make it clear that they're not spending time in like Delhi or like wherever in the film, but is it misrepresenting <laughs> Like the the like basically making it look like this backwater village that doesn't have like you know electricity or plumbing or whatever. Um, I think that's a yeah, reasonable I, a reasonable question. I think unfortunately, and and not that this makes it any better or anything, but the the plot requires it to be sort of that environment in order for us to have the you know thematic yeah maybe payoff that he's going right because they're again not I mean, that yeah. makes it any better, but. Yeah, because I think that I think the place that I was going to go to next is that th this is also the period of the film where the sort of surprise structure of the film that I was alluding to earlier comes to play, where there's there's a there's a series of scenes right before they observe the funeral of this of this boy who died um, while they were trying to save him. It, they have this flashback to a year before when they are trying to attend their own father's funeral in this large city, I mean, presumably, I think it's implied it's like New York City or something like that in the US, um, where they are, you know, rushing all over town, trying to run errands, picking up his car, whatever, whatever, whatever. Um, and the, I think the juxtaposition of that to maybe to Scott's point is like, what, wherever they're going to be kind of needs to be this rural place that is very unlike where they had their own experience of, of trauma and loss a year before. But yeah, whether that makes your point it doesn't necessarily make your point um, any more or less valid. It's just the like, and, are they still taking this culture and doing that? And also you have like the whole village coming together for the mourning process, which yeah. is juxtaposed with their mother not even showing up for the funeral of the, the dad. Yeah, I thought that <laughs> when they when they first start flashing back and I was just like, man, this is like, this feels like a really weird time to do this. Like, I'm not sure pacing wise, it made sense to do this. And then I think by the end of it, I was more on board with it. But at the time I was sort of, it did sort of snap me out of, of the moment when I thought the film was starting to pick up a little bit. Um, and I still think the pacing felt a bit off as a result of that. But I do think maybe to the, a point you were making earlier, Scott, that it emo like emotionally and thematically, it probably worked still, even if it doesn't quite strike all the right balance in terms of pacing. That said, I guess sort of to get my thoughts on the whole thing. Yeah, I, th I thought the scene where they're trying to save the kids, like I think it is even before you they witness the grieving process, it's it's sort of the first time in the whole film where you really see them come together as three brothers trying to do something together, really. Um, it feels like they're going to all these places together, but they're really like doing them separately. Like, you know, they're all trying to like buy their own stuff at certain stops earlier in the film. They're all doing their own things on the train. Um, they're not really like they are together, but apart. And here it feels like they're together and they due to necessity, they have to act together and do something together. And I think that that sort of driving, um, impetus to, to do that is something that really works in the, in the film. And, and you still sort of see how they start to bond together, even before then they re they have to reevaluate maybe what process that they've found ineffective in, in grieving so far. Um, and it's guys, three, three three kids that they are trying to save yep, that's and parallel. they only save yep. two of them. And so it's like, Hey, you know, we need, we need each other because, you know, this yeah, that's is a, great a, point. a traumatic thing that could happen. Yeah. So I, I guess with that, I, I did want to talk a little bit more about that flashback because again, I thought it was kind of weird how long it took. Um, I mean, at first I wasn't <laughs> even hundred percent sure what was happening. I'll be honest. Like it took me actually a second to realize that we were in a flashback. 
maybe I'm just being dumb and not following the movie very well. But Jay, it wasn't just you. Okay, well, I will. Let's go to you first, Jay. What else did you think of this flashback? Because Scott kind of gave his thoughts and and at least thematically thought it tied together really well. I'm going to go out and let me say you probably agree about the thematic point, but I'm curious what you thought of the flashback itself. I, I think it did tie together well thematically. I think, like you, it took me a second to realize what was happening. And as it was happening, I think I had similar thoughts. So you, what you mentioned of, is this really the time? And why yeah. are we doing this? I, I think, as you both pointed out, though, like it does tie together pretty well. And I think, you know, you, you mentioned like a series of events, right? That like start to, you know, kick the movie into like a different emotional gear like i think this is just another one of those where you're like oh yeah like you know this is this is what it was before this and like yeah this is why you know not necessarily why but it's one of the pieces that have led to like you know the messed up place that these three brothers are in now so like you know as it started it was a little bit like why and by the end it was like all right yeah like that that made a lot of sense what'd you think of the car was it worth it it's a nice car yeah. Scott, what did you think? Of the car? Whatever you want to talk about. You don't even have to talk about any of this. You can talk about whatever you want to. Who cares? I mean, I, yeah, I think I think we kind of... Do you uh, like the Porsche, uh, Scott? That's what I want to know. What did you yeah, think of the Porsche? Sure. I, I, okay. Porsches are great cars. A, a Porsche 911 would be one of my, like, dream cars. So and This episode uh, is go. brought to you by... <laughs> Porsche the Grand Tour. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't have much to add there. Um, you know, I, I kind of, I think we've kind of discussed how it makes sense thematically. Um, do, do you, I mean, we haven't talked about this, but it is also revealed that he, he died from being hit by a taxi. Um, I think there's, there's a connection obviously with Owen Wilson's character, um, in that respect. But what did you think of that? Like, I mean, at the time I just sort of thought nothing of it, of course, because you don't really know exactly what's going on with with <clears throat> francis yet as a character but i'm curious if you made anything more of that if there was something more there that you sort of mined out of that because it seems like a, it's an important piece of information we didn't know before then yeah i i don't know what, how much i make i mean i guess maybe it's just like the randomness of it again kind of putting things in perspective for them in the same way you know you have this random incident that they encounter in india with these these three kids um but yeah, I mean, it does feel like an important detail. There's probably something more there, but just not something that I really thought a whole lot about. Jay, did you make anything of that? Or I think similar to Scott, when I started off, it was like the randomness of it. Mm-hmm. Again, noting, you know, it's one of those things you hear this and you're like, this feels like a detail that's going to be relevant later on. Uh, if not yeah. just as a, like, this is a random thing that happened. And maybe to your point earlier, Scott, also it speaks to the contrast in worlds as well. The fact that, you know, getting hit by a taxi, you think of that in the context of like busy city, you know, someplace like New York, like you said. Um, Whereas, you know, where they are in India. Well, I mean, people probably get hit by taxis in India, too. Let's be honest, but not not the particular place where they are in India. You didn't see the way Bill Murray's taxi driver was uh, driving at the beginning of the movie, like. Dude was a maniac behind the wheel. Uh, I mean, yeah. I, I've had a lot of friends go to India. In in my last job, there's actually a rotation program of people going to India and working in the in, in the EY office in India. And the stories that I would hear about the just the driving in general in India, but yeah. especially the taxi driving, like psycho level stuff. I know it from watching many seasons of The Amazing Race. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew that that was the education that you that you would take it, away? It's from it's surprisingly race. educational. It really is. I believe it, and you're cultured, I guess. I guess you're the most cultured of us all. Um, Obviously. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, so so that happens. I mean, you sort of, that is sort of stitched into the middle of the bo- of this boy dying and the boy's funeral. But then they're like, you know, they go on their way. They're sort of, you know, they have this moment of catharsis. This is also where we start to learn a little bit more about Peter as well. I think it is at this point as they go to the airport to take their departing flight to the airport where he reveals to them that they, he's going to be a father in like a couple days or whatever. And that he hadn't told, told his wife that he was going to India and they're walking towards the plane and they decide that their journey is not yet over. They rip up their tickets, they turn around and they sort of finish the job um, going <laughs> to try and find their mother, Patricia. 
who at this point they've learned from a letter that they received um, that she doesn't want to see them. She doesn't, they've gone all, traveled all the way to India. Francis has written her a letter saying they are going to come see her. And she said, no, even though you traveled all the, you know, across the globe to see her, she's not interested. So they say, screw you, going to do it anyway. And I think this is probably where like the, the largest emotional payoff of the film really starts to come, Scott. And so I know this is something that you highlighted in your general thoughts specifically about how effective you thought the emotional payoffs were in this film. And, and is this what you were talking about is the relationship with the mother and, and what happens there and how that sort of wraps up and concludes. Is that what you were referring to or, or is I making a bad assumption? No, no, no. That's definitely part of it. You know, I, I pointed out some of the other moments um, along the way too, that I think worked for me, but, um, but yeah, you know, it's like they need that closure, right? Despite the fact that, that they've gotten this letter from her and yeah i mean it, it kind of it kind of turns out maybe how they they expected which is you know she does welcome them or whatever she does uh, present as being you know happy to see them but mm -hmm. you know the next day when they awake she's not there and well, the first thing she does say to them is i told you not to come but yeah yeah, yeah. you know maybe this is this is a uh, also kind of um, the the mom and ha her her influence on the kids showing right like because she's kind of running from her problems I guess uh, you know she's she's come all the way out to this exotic place and you know this remote place in India yeah in the um, Himalayas I think this is yeah. this is explicitly in the mountains yeah um, and you know she she's really just trying to distance herself from everything so much so that she didn't even come to the funeral. Um, which again is is also you know it's her own way of grieving but it's kind of a making it about herself um, to some extent too um, and then when they show up right and, and suddenly there's this connection to the real world she still can't really bear it and ends up running away from her problems again uh, but it's okay because like again the brothers have gotten that closure and they kind of realize that they have they still have each other and like that's what they need um and so and, and it's when it really is when francis first admits you know what really happened to him as well yeah. i think that that's right sort of closeness bears that out right and you know it's kind of a again with the with the context of adrian brody's child about being born um you know it's like we're not going to repeat the sins of our our parents um and you know they just decide hey we're at peace now she left us, but you know, we have each other. We're going to get back on the train and, and go home. So it's, it's a nice ending. Like, uh, you know, it, it, um, I think it, it rounds off all the themes really well and, and, you know, gives a satisfying conclusion to the brotherly relationship that I think is the strongest part of the movie. Of course, flash forward 10 years and Adrian Brody has divorced his wife. Doesn't see his sure. son and, We've repeated the sins of the parents. Jay, did you feel the same way about that as Scott did about sort of this, this almost, um, it's not the finale of the film, but it, it feels like it's really the, the core of the third act. More or less, I'd say so. I think, like Scott said, you kind of see where they get it from, right? And that like sure. she's hiding out and then she bails in the morning. Not to mention, you know, the way she like orders everyone's food for them, like picks everyone's food for them. Um, and the way she's like, you know, let's make an agreement. Like, can we agree on this? Like both of those, those last two things being things that we see Owen Wilson's Francis character too. doing. Yeah. It just, it, it all starts to make sense. And like, I don't know if they were as, you know, aware of it as we were. I mean, they were clearly aware of it to some degree by the end, but I'm, I was watching that. I was laughing out loud. Like, Oh God, no wonder. It's got some real Lydia Tar energy and trying to order someone's food for them. Yeah, although Lydia Tarr is much more passive aggressive about it because she doesn't say, "Do you yeah. want the cucumber salad?" She's uh -huh. like, "The cucumber salad is good here." It's the only thing um, I've ever gotten. Yeah. yeah, of course. Yeah, I also I also love the idea. I don't know if this is also out there in Letterbox or in, in the Reddit Scott that uh, Angelica Houston fled the convent in the Himalayas to and then went to um, the Continental and became this master ballerina assassin or whatever in the John Wick franchise. So that's like a pretty cool theory. I think that we could we could dig into a little bit. I, I really I low key forgot that she appeared in a John Wick film until you mentioned that. 
Well, she did. I'm, I imagine we, we might see her again in John Wick 4. But yeah. we'll see. We'll see in just a couple of weeks. Um, and as of this podcast being released several months ago. So I'm sure that'll be a really, a really good one for all of our listeners. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The, the, end the, the end of the film, I, I think it, I think for me, I guess just to lay it out there is, is I, I think at this point I kind of realized in the film that I wasn't totally on board with it and not that it didn't work, but I just wasn't as invested as maybe I wanted to be. And as much as I maybe needed to be for it to fully work. So I'm, I, I don't want to sit here and say it had this really big impact um, but I can, re I think I can recognize that thematically to your point, Scott, I think thematically it does. It's that you do sort of see all the pieces come together. Um, it just, didn't, it just didn't affect me. I think the way maybe that I was hoping that it would. And maybe also to your point, Scott, from the very beginning of the podcast, maybe that's just, um, a product of, of maybe expecting more from Wes and a Wes Anderson film than if you were just going in and it was a random director. So I think that's also possible as well. But I don't disagree with anything anyone said here. I just wish it maybe had more of an impact on me as I watched the film. Last thing I want to talk about before we do wrap up is going back to the first scene, which I talked about in my general thoughts as something that I really liked. And of course, the last scene of this movie to sort of draw everything into a nice, a nice conclusion. Everything comes full circle. At the beginning of the film, Peter is outrunning Bill Murray, I guess his father, according to you, Scott, um, just kicking his father in the shins and running past him to to board the train. Um, and it's really important that he throws the luggage, uh, the luggage with his father's initials on it, onto the train as he jumps on board. And at the end, you see uh, the, a very similar scene as all three brothers this time sort of run to board their new train, the Bingle Lancer. Um, and rather than throwing their luggage onto the train like they did before, they discard all their baggage and throw it away, um, jumping on board and they have each other and their experiences and their and their siblinghood. I don't know, Jay. You're almost laughing as I describe this, but it it's is a, a very little on the nose. nose. It's, it's a, a very on the nose. <laughs> like, it's a very on my the baggage. nose metaphor. <laughs> yeah, it's a very on the nose metaphor. Quite literally, um, baggage. Yeah. That I I will be honest. I liked a lot because of the because of the opening scene. Um, I feel like I'm getting a judgmental nod from Scott there, but that's okay. Yeah, I mean, um, sure. It, I mean, it it is a, it is a bookend for sure. It's a nice chuckle, like, oh, okay, I see what you did, and that's nice. Um, I don't know if you guys have anything else to add to that, but I just wanted to call it out. It was a good call out. It was a, I think it was a nice, like, putting a bow on it, coming full circle. Yeah. Any other cliches about wrapping things up nicely? Mm -hmm. I think you said, uh, I think you said wrap things up nicely. I think that's the other cliche. So, yeah. there you go. and and um, I have to just say that the um, sure the song over the closing credits, um, mm -hmm. very catchy. The Champs-Élysées song, yeah, very catchy. Not the first or the last time there will be a catchy song in a Wes Anderson film. True. He, he, he loves his needle drops. He does. And I think we'll be seeing even more of them very soon. Guys, let's wrap up our conversation of, about the Darjeeling Limited. Favorite scene or moment? Scott, we'll go to you first. Um. Yeah, I, it's the song at the end. No, um, I guess I'm, I'm trying to. <laughs> Whatever think the last thing that. I said was, that's it. That's my favorite scene. Yeah, no, no it, I'm trying to think of something that we haven't necessarily talked about. I guess the, uh, you know, the if there's one moment of comedy that is pretty good, it's the whole incident with the snake and everything. Damn, you took uh, mine, asshole. On, on, on the train, you know, the the snake gets loose, um, and then of course there. They're asking for it later, and I can't even—I can't remember. Yeah. But but Adrian Brody has some kind of funny line when um, it's got to be against their—it's got to be against their religion or something like that to kill the snake or whatever. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. something like that. Yeah, um, but then you know they find out they're not going to get the snake back or whatever. It, yeah, it's just kind of that absurd Wes Anderson style humor that. Um, but we know that they haven't killed the snake. The snake is just in the conductor's. It's just room vibing. Or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just hanging out, roaming free. Mm -hmm. uh, well, not roaming free, to be clear. But Jay, what is your favorite scene or moment? I think for me, it's this this line uh, that Owen Wilson delivers after uh, the train is broken down in the middle of nowhere, and like they're the three of them are talking to someone, and you know, someone says like, you know, we can't, like, we don't know how long it'll be because we haven't located ourselves yet. And Owen Wilson's like, wait, say that again, like. 
you know, as if it was some profound thing, like, you know, we haven't found our, we haven't located ourselves yet. Like, how can we know where we're going? We haven't located ourselves yet. And he's saying it like it's this super profound thing. And I'm yeah. channeling my inner Benoit Blanc to go, no, it's just dumb. Yeah. I mean, that's a great, that's a great gift in general. Um, big, big fan of the Benoit Blanc. It's just dumb. Gif. Yeah. Uh, I guess it's so silly. Cause I think I talked about, um, how I thought the middle part of the song was like boring. And I think all three of our favorite scenes are moments. And we're now going to lesser just from the middle of this, of this thing. Cause I think, I think it's, this is the kind of film where there are very few, I think acute moments where you're like, Oh wow, this is such a powerful scene. Um, at least I felt that way in the film. So it's then sort of natural, I think to go and point towards something like a, a comedy, a comedic moment that you really like. And so Scott did take me and I was going to talk about the snake. I'll talk instead about uh, Francis having his one of one of his loafers stolen. Um, so silly. Why didn't the kid take the other? Why didn't he just take both? I'm just like confused why the kid just didn't take both loafers. He don't take don't both shoes off during a shining. That that's suspicious, isn't it? I don't know. Oh yeah, nothing suspicious about anything that happened during that shoe shining at all. Um, but no, it's also kind of kind of funny after the, as they're like chasing him and you see like this huge crowd of kids or whatever like standing in front of them and they're just like mm, maybe we shouldn't. How about um, how about the sorry fate of uh, Brendan, right? The assistant who, um, oh yeah, that's ends true. up quitting because what is it? He uh, he's not supposed to to. You're not supposed to make fun of. Uh, oh gosh, what? Why can't I remember what it is now? What's the his hair loss? Alopecia. Yeah, is yeah. It, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's so culturally because he can't grow hair. I oh, know, right? I was like, the alopecia. Oscars are this weekend. Like, what do we do? <laughs> Yeah, but Owen Wilson is like telling them, you know, not to do this, and then he's the one that ends up ends up doing it, and um, and Brendan quits, and there, and the brothers have to be like, oh yeah, he just quit, and he's like, oh okay, uh, that was that was somewhat amusing as well. Yeah, you want to talk about culturally relevant? There's that one scene where uh, they're the three brothers are talking about, um, I think what happened to Jack and his relationship. And I think gaslighting, it's Peter. Yeah. yes, Peter's like, I think she might be gaslighting you. And Jack's like, what's gaslighting? And I was like, like oh, this, no, that has to be one of the first, um, you know, modern uses of the phrase. Of course, you know, the supposed origin or, you know, pop culture wise is there's a film from the 30s called Gaslight with uh, Ingrid Bergman. I don't know if that actually has anything to do with the phenomenon of gaslighting. I think maybe it does. But anyway, it, it did like stop me in my tracks for a second. I had to be like, oh, wow, they're they're really using this term in a 2007 movie. Yeah, it's kind of funny to hear. Definitely. I didn't know that about the film from the 30s, but now I might have to go down this this rabbit hole on Reddit to find the origin of the term. All right. And to wrap things up, shall we put a score on it? Jay, out of 10, what are you giving the Darjeeling Limited? I'm going to give this one a 6.7, which is just like a step below a couple of the other ones I've really, really liked. Just um, a step below Iron Man 3. God. <laughs> they have different, different scales, first of all. We, 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 we've, we've talked about this. Superhero movies are on an entirely different scale. We're not doing this. Don't do this right now. It's been so long, I forgot about Jay's whack rating scale. But, what are you talking uh, about? Royal, like the Royal Tenenbaum's got an 8.4, and I really like that a lot more than this, so it wasn't going to get something as close like there you go what do you want for me it's a 7.8 uh i i like the film it's you know maybe not one that i'm going to come back to as much uh as you know some of the other uh, of my favorite wes anderson films but i'm very glad i watched it i do think it more or less works probably deserves to be talked about a little bit more than it is 7.0 for me um i enjoyed it it's a good film um I wish some of the pacing and maybe the middle parts had had been constructed a little bit differently. Some of the parts that don't really feel like they're necessarily connected to a lot of the emotional payoffs later in the film, where you're really just spending more time with the brothers and getting to know them better. I just wish maybe that was utilized a little bit more. And I think that it would have bumped it up a little more for me. But 7.0. And that I think should just about do it for our discussion of the Darjeeling Limited and part five of the Anderson Countdown. Don't forget to also check out our podcast Patreon at www.patreon.com slash mediaplugpods. If you can support us over there, we'd appreciate that. If not, that's okay. You can still find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to your podcast, where we'd love it if you rated, reviewed, subscribed, shared, etc. So we continue to reach a broader audience. 
And we really appreciate all of you for taking time to listen to us chat about Wes Anderson's The Darjeeling Limited. We'll be back next week with part six of our Anderson countdown, when we'll be revisiting Fantastic Mr. Fox, his first stop-motion animated film. We hope you'll join us then. But until then, for Jay Habib and Scott Harvey, I'm Scott Shelton. We'll see you next time. Thank you.